The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Now, welcome to church this morning. Uh, like Hunter said, we as a church, we're in the middle of two different things. Uh, on the one hand, we are in the middle of a campaign where we're just trying to be intentional about reaching out to our community. So if you were invited here today by a coworker, you have a better coworker than we just saw in that video. Uh, we just want to say welcome. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, also, we're in the middle of a message series entitled Miracles. We kicked that off last week looking at the miracles that Jesus did and how they can apply to our own lives here in our own situation. Please stand with me, if you would, as we read our text this morning. Mark chapter number 9 is where we'll be. Begin reading in verse number 14. Also inside your service program, there's an outline that you can use to follow along through the message this morning. Hope that'll be a help to you as we study the word together this morning. Mark chapter number 9, verse 14. We're going to read down through verse number 29. The Bible says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. So this is Jesus. He's coming up on a group of his disciples, and he sees there's this group of people around them, and the scribes questioning them. The scribes were these very religious people who were responsible for copying scripture. And in Jesus's day, uh, they really became very pious, kind of holier than thou. They were really similar to the Pharisees and they're questioning the disciples. Verse 15, and straightway all the people, when they beheld him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him and asked, and he, Jesus asked the scribes, what question ye with them? What are you talking with my disciples about? What are you questioning them for? Verse 17, and one of the multitude answered and said, master, I have brought unto thee my son, who hath a dumb spirit, and, whosoever, and wheresoever he, the spirit, taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and he pineth away. And I spake unto thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him, bring this demon-possessed boy unto me. Verse 20. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. It tore at the boy, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And, his, and he asked his father, Jesus asked his father, how long, it, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. Verse 22, and oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit and said, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came unto him and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this really amazing passage of scripture that you've given us. And Lord, as we're going to see, I pray that you would help us to experience you even in our own failures. Lord, when we fail and when we fall short, I pray that we would experience you and we experience you do a miraculous work. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, all of us at some point in our lives have failed, right? You know, most of us just raise our hand and say, yeah, there's been times when I royally, royally blew it. And, and the truth is, most of the time when we fail, 
uh, it's not as funny as it was in that video, right? Oftentimes when we fail, it's, it's hard not to take it personally. It's hard not to identify with our failure. Failure can be embarrassing. Maybe it can even be humiliating. And because we failed, we often feel like a failure. Well, here in our text, we see that the disciples, they failed. They failed to cast out this evil spirit from this boy who had been possessed his entire life. But then comes along Jesus. And the result of Jesus coming up onto this failure is a miracle. And so this morning, I want to help us reframe really how we view failure. You see, every failure is an opportunity to experience the miraculous. Every failure that we experience is an opportunity for Jesus to do a miraculous work in our life. Now, throughout this morning's message, we're going to focus specifically on what do I do when I fail? How do I experience the miraculous power of Jesus in my own failures? But let's be honest with you, we live in a broken world. Uh, Just like we have to deal with our own failures, oftentimes we have to deal with other people's failures too. Somebody else fails and we're left with a mess. Somebody else fails and now we're all of a sudden stuck in a negative situation. What do we do when we have to deal with the failures of others? I mean, it's bad enough I have to deal with my own failures, right? That's bad. That's, sometimes that's just awful. But then you throw on top of that, I've got to deal with somebody else's failures, and that is not my fault, and I really had nothing to do with that. How do we navigate through that? And what we see is that is actually what happens in the story. Just before Jesus comes on the scene, this despondent father, he comes up and he needs a miracle. Now put yourself in the father's position for a moment, if you will. Imagine, as a dad... You get that joyous news that you're going to have a son. Every dad, when they have a son, there's just something inside of them that gets proud. They have somebody to carry on the family name. And you have that son, and you and your wife, you're rejoicing over the birth of your child. But then after a couple of years, you notice, man, something's not right. Something's not different. Something's different about our son. And you begin to realize that there's this evil spirit, there's this demon that's actually oftentimes taking control of your son. Imagine the fear as a parent not knowing if you're going to encounter your little boy or a demon. Imagine the constant tension, the constant fear of not knowing if this demon is going to try and drown your son or try to throw your son in the fire. Oftentimes, while your son is fighting for control over his own body, his body literally breaks out into seizures. Imagine as a parent being afraid just to even go to bed at night, wondering what could happen while we're asleep, what could happen to our boy while we're sleeping. Then you hear about these men, and you've heard stories about how they can cast out demons. You've heard stories about how they have power over these evil spirits, and all of a sudden, this small glimmer of hope begins to well up inside of you, and you think, if they can help these other people, maybe they can help my boy too. And so you take your son to these people, you tell them your story, you beg for them to help, and they say, yes, we can help. We're disciples of Jesus. We've cast out demons before, and we can help your son too. And they go about trying to cast a demon out of your son, and nothing. They completely failed. The Bible doesn't say if they tried several times to cast out the demon or just once. Jesus and his and his inner circle at this moment in time they're up on the mount of transfiguration so jesus isn't even there at this moment we do know that after they failed this crowd had gathered around and these scribes these religious people that don't believe in the messiah they're questioning these disciples now no doubt they're taking advantage of the disciples failure saying see it's not real you guys failed i knew you were fake and there's all this commotion going on 
And you as a father, you're just there and you're just desperate. You want help for your son. And the only hope you had is now disappeared at somebody else's failure. What do you do when you're dealing with somebody else's failure? Well, look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus comes up on the scene. He sees this commotion. And one of the multitude answered and said, so Jesus, he actually asks a scribe what's going on. And this father doesn't even let the scribe answer. He just jumps in and says, look, I brought my son to you guys. He has this evil spirit. It's constantly tearing at him. And your disciples failed to cast him out. We see our first thought this morning. The failure is brought to Jesus. What do we do? Whether it's our own failure or if it's somebody else's failure, when we're in that moment, what is the right response? We need to do what the Father did and bring the failure to Jesus. Jesus addresses the failure. They bring the failure to him. So what do we do? We pray. You pray. You take that failure to the Lord. You don't take it to Facebook. You don't take it to your neighbor. You don't start the gossip mill going around. You just take it to the Lord. If it's your failure, if somebody else has failed you, the first thing we need to do as Christians is do what the Father did and take that failure to Jesus. Say, Jesus, look, there's this failure in my life and this is what it's doing. Lord, I need you to work. So the first thing we're always to do is to pray. Take it to the Lord. Next, we're supposed to lean into other people's failures with a spirit of humility, knowing full well that we are just as capable of failing ourselves. You help them pick up the pieces of their failure. You help them carry the mess that their failure made. Look at uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 2. In the Christian standard, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual. So this is a spiritual response. This is a response that the Holy Spirit of God wants to do through you. When someone is overtaken in a fault, when they're overtaken in a wrongdoing, when they failed, whether it's a sin failure or whether it's a work failure, whether it's a relational failure, whatever kind of failure, this is what the Spirit wants to do through you. He says, Restore such a one with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. And this way you fulfill the law of Christ. The burdens that we are to help people carry is the mess that is the result of their failures. What Paul is telling us, what the Holy Spirit is telling us, when somebody else has failed you, the spirit-filled response is for you to go and you to pray. Be like the Father. Go to God and pray about it. But then next, lean into that failure. Get down on the ground with them and help them pick up the pieces of the mess that they made. Help them carry that burden. Help them carry that failure. Both of my sons this week have been uh, really sick. (laughs) It's kind of a bummer when little kids are sick, right? Um, But my oldest, Nicholas, he's almost four years old. He is, this time around, being sick. He's actually figured out, if I don't get sick in a bowl, it's going to be a really big mess. And so I want you to imagine, not, not too much in your mind, because uh, it's gross, uh, but imagine he doesn't make it to the bowl, and all of a sudden now there's this big mess, right? Like that's, that's happened in my house this week, just being real with you guys. That's dad life right there. He makes a mess. Now imagine how horrible it would it be of me as a dad to be like, well, son, you made the mess. You've got to clean it up. You'd say, that would be a bad move. You're just a lousy dad, and that's true. But how often do we do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ? How often do we have the attitude, well, you made the mess, you cleaned it up. You made your bed, now you lay in it. You see, what God wants us to do is he actually wants to lean into that mess. And yes, it's going to stink. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. But God wants us to lean in because when we lean into other people's failures, we get to be a part of the miraculous work of God at restoring that person and making those things right. 
You see, oftentimes when we see other people's mess, we just run. I, I don't want to touch that with the nine-foot pole. Other times, we don't have the option of running. We're stuck with the mess whether we like it or not. And instead of leaning in with a spirit of prayer and humility and genuine concern, we get self-righteous and we get angry because we value our own comfort more than the other person's good and the glory of God. When we refuse to help others in their failures, we are missing a chance to experience a miracle. If the father had just gotten mad at the disciples and left and said, you guys failed, forget this, and he had left, he would have missed the miracle that Jesus was about to do. And when we have the attitude, this is your mess, you deal with it, we are missing out on an opportunity to be a part of God's miraculous work. So what do we do when it's other people's failures? You pray, you take it to God, and then you lean in with the spirit of humility. But what about when the failure is ours? What about when the only person we can blame is the man in the mirror? Then what? I mean, what about the disciples? They were the ones who, they were the ones who failed, right? Well, look at verse number 28. I love the disciples' response. After all this commotion's over, after this whole scene is kind of wrapping up, they're going to the house that they're staying at for the night. Uh, verse 28. And when he was coming to the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? I love their question. Because their question is so often not our knee-jerk reaction. Our knee-jerk reaction when we fail is to what? It's to make excuses. It's to try and justify why we failed. I mean, imagine the disciples, they could have said, well, Jesus, you know, they're, they're getting back in. They're kind of doing their debriefing for the night. They could have said, well, Jesus, the reason we couldn't cast out the miracles because all these scribes were there and they were being really self-righteous and they were being pious and they were just causing a scene and it kept us from casting out the demon. They could have said, well, Jesus, I mean, this father, he was just so despondent, and he was so emotional. We just got so distracted. We just couldn't focus. We, we couldn't get in the zone, and that's why we couldn't cast him out. Is that, no, that's not what they did. You see, in asking Jesus why they failed to cast out the demon, they were actually owning the fact that they couldn't. They were actually coming to grips with the fact. They were acknowledging, yeah, we failed. But Lord, why couldn't we do it? They were taking responsibility for their own failure. It's funny how when we fail, we try to blame a thousand different things or a thousand different people, and we come up with excuses to try to justify it, but the truth is excuses and failures are roadblocks to miracles. If the disciples hadn't just owned it and been like, Lord, what, how can we grow? I love their attitude. Lord, we couldn't do it. What, what happened? What can, we do? what can we do for next time? If they hadn't have had that attitude, we would have missed verse number 29. Verse 29, one of the most common verses in Scripture. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. If the disciples had made excuses, they would have missed a valuable lesson. The lesson that God has not only ordained what he wants to do in your life, he has also ordained the way it is supposed to happen. You see, God has miracles that he wants to do for all of our lives. God has miracles that he has planned and mapped out for you. And sometimes he wants those miracles to happen through you praying and praying and praying. God says, I want this miracle to happen, and here's the way I want it to happen. I want you to pray for it. I want you to beg me for it. I want you to draw into my presence. I maybe even want you to give up a couple of meals and fasting just so this miracle could happen. God has not only ordained what he wants to happen, but the way he wants it to happen. And sometimes God will allow us to fail so that we can be reminded of the fact that we need to be praying. God will allow us to fail so that we can use that failure as an invitation to draw into his, into his presence. So when you experience failure, take it to Jesus, just like the fathers did, just like the disciples did. Take your failure to the Lord. Use that failure as an opportunity to draw into the presence of your king. You see, because it's in his presence that he reminds you your identity is not a failure. 
yes, you failed. But that doesn't mean you are a failure. It's in his presence that he says, no, you're not a failure. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. You're an heir with Jesus. It's in his presence that he reminds us we are complete in him. And because I am complete in him, I'm free to own my failure without carrying the weight of it. I'm free to own it because Jesus has taken the weight of it for me. So it's in the presence of Jesus that that we're reminded there's no more condemnation. I mean, when we fail, how often do we feel that condemnation? And you feel that guilt. Oftentimes, and it's just mostly from ourselves. I mean, I can guarantee you I'm the hardest person on Nick Minerva. And it's probably that way for most of us. We're hard on ourselves. But when we take our failure to the presence of Jesus, he reminds us there's no condemnation in Christ. There's no guilt here. Your guilt has been paid for. Your condemnation, it has been taken. Remember that every failure is an opportunity to experience the miraculous. But if we don't take our failure to Jesus, we might miss the miracle. The gospel teaches us that we can take responsibility just like Jesus did for us. I can lean into other people's mess because Jesus leaned into my mess. First, uh, or 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. God made Jesus. Jesus took responsibility for our sin so that we could experience the miracle of regeneration, so that we could experience the miracle of salvation. And because I am free from identifying with my failure, I can take responsibility for it. I don't have to feel like a failure because I can remind myself I am a child of God. I can own it without making excuses because I can take it to Jesus. So when failure is in our life, what do we do? You bring the failure to Jesus. But let's go on in verses 23 and 24. We see how the father continues to respond to this failure. In verses uh, 22, he asks Jesus, can you help me? In verse 23, Jesus says, if thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. I love verse 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We see a confession of a struggle to believe. And this father's like, Lord, I believe, I believe you're Lord. I believe you have the power over darkness. I believe you can cast out this demon. But I just saw your disciples fail and I'm struggling to believe. I'm experiencing my own failure, Lord, and it's making it hard for me to believe. But I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, verse 24 shows us that belief and unbelief can exist side by side. In fact, in this fallen world where uncertainty and doubt find their home, there will always be this war raging inside of us between belief and unbelief. Until you get to heaven, there's always going to be this tension. There's always going to be this struggle. And instead of shying away from it, we need to do with the Father and just confess it. Take it to God. Acknowledge that it is there. We need to accept the earthly reality of failure without feeling like something is wrong with me. No, you're a human being. You're flesh and blood. Failure is a reality. It's part of living on planet Earth. We should not accept failure in terms of giving up. We should not accept failure in terms of giving in or just getting apathetic or not caring anymore. I love what Kerry Schmidt said. He said, we should engage this struggle like a sail engages a blustering wind, like a batter engages a 95 uh, per hour fastball, like a surfer engages the raging surf. That's how we are to engage this tension. That's how we are to engage our unbelief. Oswald Chambers said this, he said, the surf that distresses the ordinary swimmer will produce, and the expert surfer, the surf rider, the super joy of going clean through it. He goes on to say, apply this to your own circumstances. These very things, these tribulations, this distress, this persecution, they produce in us a super joy. They are not things to fight. 
He says, we are more than conquerors in him in all these things, not in spite of them, but in the middle of them. The saint never knows the joy of the Lord in spite of tribulation, but because of it. And it's because of this tension, this battle that rages inside of us between belief and unbelief, that we get to experience the power of God working in our life. It's because of this tension, when we leverage that tension, when I come to grips with my failure, leverage that tension between belief and unbelief, that's the moment the miracle begins to happen. That's the moment everything begins to change. That's the moment I can expect the miraculous. But when we just play the victim, our failure has power over us. When we just try to make excuses, we're just going to be stuck floundering and gasping for breath and for drowning. You see, oftentimes while we're trying to escape our failure, while we're trying to pretend like this tension between belief and unbelief doesn't even exist, God is actually calling us not to ignore it, not to escape from it, but to stand on top of it and leverage it for our growth and for his glory. God uses our failures to produce some of the greatest fruit he wants to grow in our lives. But for that to happen, we have to have the right orientation towards our failure. The right orientation towards the struggle between belief and unbelief. You see, a failure only has the power that I give it. Failure only makes me a victim if I allow it. Failure is only final if I quit. You can't eliminate failure, but we can't stop giving it power because we have a God inside of us who has all power, who has conquered this battle, who has conquered our failures, who has conquered this tension and wants to give us belief. This tension that exists between belief and unbelief and our own failures exists to remind us of the fact that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus. John Romans 8 says, we all things work together for good to them that love God. Uh, 8.37, we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. God allows our failures. He allows this tension to remind us of the power that we have in him. I mean, you don't ever experience victory without ever going to battle. We experience the power of God when we're weak. And God allows failure. God allows weakness. God allows this tension so that we can be reminded that he is all-powerful and I have won this battle for you and I will give you the victory. God allows this so that we can grow. You see, faith, as the Bible describes it, is not blind. Unbelief is blind. Faith sees a reality beyond what our eyes can see, a reality that God reveals to us, which is more important, in fact, more real than even what we can see with our physical eyes. And that's that tension. Lord, I believe. But what I'm seeing with my eyes right now is really difficult. It's really hard. I love Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the reality of what we hope for. It's the proof of what we cannot see. And when we're struggling in our faith, we need to cry out to God and say, God, would your truth, would your reality be more real than even what I see in these circumstances? When the Father said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He said, Lord, I believe. Would you help me with my unbelief with what I can see? The fact that my son is demon-possessed is the most real thing to me right now, God, and I want your truth to be more real. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Prayer is the medicine for unbelief. And when belief and unbelief collide, we need to turn to the one our belief comes from. We need to turn to the object, the source, and the finisher of our faith. faith. Seek his face. Pray desperately and expectantly. Let your weak faith cling to your mighty God. Confess your unbelief and ask Jesus to help you unbelieve. And then stand back and watch as Christ does a miracle. Failure is an invitation to draw into this tension and to draw into the presence of Jesus. Failure is an opportunity to experience the miraculous. 
So in our failure, Jesus invites us to him in prayer. But I think one of the hardest things about failure, we'll see this in verse 25 and 26, is there's a temptation to lose hope. There's a temptation to lose hope. Look at verses 25 and 26. This is, honestly, this is a part of the story I haven't really heard much on, and I think most of the time, there's so many good verses in this passage, we tend to focus on those, and I think sometimes we skip some of these other ones. Uh, verse 25 says, And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I take charge over thee. Come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and he rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. Put yourself back on the Father's shoes for a minute. I mean, you talk about a roller coaster day. The disciples failed to cast out the evil spirit from your son. The small glimmer of hope you had is now crushed. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, your son, your son can be healed. And you're, you're crying out. You're like, Lord, I believe. Just help me because I'm struggling to believe. And then Jesus actually begins casting out the demon. But as the demon is leaving your son, he so tears at your son's body that he just falls lifeless on the ground. And everybody around you is like, he's dead. Jesus cast out the demon, but now the boy is dead. Could you imagine what that poor father must have been feeling in that moment? I mean, we read verse 27, and we're like, oh yeah, Jesus picks him up, his mind. But in that moment, can you imagine what that father must have been feeling? And when we're experiencing our own failures, hope often seems like a fool's errand, doesn't it? Like, how can I have hope in this situation? I mean, I, I, this is my failure, this other person's failure, we're just, we're surrounded by failure. I don't have the luxury of hope. But we must remember that when it seems all hope is lost, we serve an all-powerful God. Jesus is all-powerful. I love Genesis 18, 14. Is there anything impossible for the Lord? The resounding answer is no. As long as God is still on the throne and Jesus is still alive, we have reason to hope. I also love Proverbs 24, 16. It gives us a little bit of a different angle at this thought. It says, Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get back up. Why? Because he's awesome? No, because he's righteous. He has the righteousness of Christ living in him. And when we have the righteousness of Christ living with us, we can keep getting back up. The Bible, in the Bible, seven is the number of completions. So when Proverbs said a just man falls seven times, or a righteous man falls seven times, basically it's saying your life can be marked by failure after failure after failure. But if the Spirit of Christ is in you, you have reason to hope. You can keep getting back up because God is in you. Because of Jesus, we have room to hope. You can fail and fail and fail and fail. But you can still have hope. Why? Because of Jesus. Not because of me. If I was so awesome, I wouldn't have failed in the first place. But we can have hope because of Jesus. He is alive. And because Jesus is there, because Jesus is all-powerful, we have hope. You see, some days... The miracle might not be a change in your circumstances. Some days, the miracle is the fact that you're still holding on to hope. Lord, I just failed again. But I'm going to keep on hoping. I'm going to have the hope that one day there will be no more sin. I'm going to hold on to the hope that one day there will be no more death. That there'll be no more pain. No more fears. No more tears. No more sickness. No more failure. That's the hope I'm going to hold on to. In spite of the fact that my life is marked by failure, I can keep holding on to hope. One day we're going to stand in the presence of Jesus. And there'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. No more crying. No more death. No more failure. We will forever be in the presence of our King. And in that moment, we'll be so thankful for all of eternity that we held on to hope. 
it will have been worth it all when we see his face. Every failure is an opportunity to experience the miraculous. And some days, the miraculous is I'm holding on to hope. I'm not going to allow this failure to become my identity. The miracle is I'm believing. I'm believing who God says I am despite of what my circumstances tell me, despite of what my boss tells me, despite of what all the people around me tell me. They're all telling me I'm a failure. And maybe you, you failed and you lost your job. You, you, I mean, maybe you just lost your job and you just feel like a failure. Some days the miracle is I'm just going to believe that, no, I'm not a failure, I'm a child of God. I'm not, I'm not a failure, I'm an heir of Jesus Christ. I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Failure isn't final because Jesus is powerful. And that, that failure isn't final. That's a very like motivational quote. You see it all over the place. And I always laugh. I was like, man, if I was that awesome, I wouldn't have failed in the first place. But here's the truth. Failure isn't final because Jesus is powerful. Because Jesus is powerful, we know, hey, failure ain't the end. We can read the end of the book. We know how it ends. Jesus wins. Failure is not final because Jesus is powerful. He has the power to work in your circumstances. He has the power to change your heart. Jesus has the power to save your soul. Maybe you're here today, and there's never been a moment when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. There's a miracle that Jesus is wanting to do in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit, in your life right here today. And that is a miracle Jesus promises shall happen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not only is that a miracle Jesus wants to do, he guarantees he will do it. He will save you. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, Jesus wants to change your eternal destiny. He wants to change it from one of death to one of life, from one that's bound towards hell to one that's bound towards heaven. Jesus wants to save you by simply placing your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. You can begin your relationship with God. Our failure to meet God's perfect and holy standard is not final because Jesus has the power to conquer sin and he conquered death for us. Failure isn't final because Jesus is powerful. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.